0: It's a trademark laugh and we're about to find out. This is Funny Like a Clown Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth, episode 74, August 24th, 2020. Uh, Here to discuss uh, Icon, uh, going way, 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 way back in comedy. Phyllis Deller what a what a I, wow it just blew my mind her career I know a little bit about her now I know more about her and I'm about to share that with you as always Funny Clown podcast brought to you by G Vegas Buffalo sauce for the spicy sweet savory taste at game time go to www.gvegas.webs.com and get some lightning in your mouth get some buffalo sauce delivered right to your home um man I'll tell you there, there was uh you know Nowadays, it's probably 50-50 women comedian in in comedy as there are men. Uh, Back in her day, weren't many around, man. And she was was the one who stood out. So out of the the handful there were, she she made the most of it. Uh, Actress, comedian, uh, best known for her eccentric stage persona. So, you know, you thought Elton John was eccentric. Well, before Elton John, there was Phyllis Diller being eccentric. Uh, Her self-deprecating humor... Uh, you thought Rodney, uh, told jokes, uh, putting himself down? Well, before Rodney, there was Phyllis Diller putting herself down. Uh, wild hair and clothes she was known for. You thought Lady Gaga was the first to do that? No, 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 no. Go back to Phyllis Diller. In her exaggerated crackling laugh, you thought Gilbert Gottfried had a funny laugh? Well, she was the original. Phyllis Diller, uh... All these kids today in comedy, they think they invented everything. You know, you, when you go to a comedy show, when you grab the mic, I invented that. Now, you you didn't invent shit, okay? They were doing stuff in comedy long before you were around, and that's why you need to know the history of comedy. You want to be a good comedian, you need to know the history of comedy, okay? that That's what's going to educate you to be a better comedian, okay? Know what's been done. Uh, let's see, uh, one of the first female comic icons in comedy... Uh, You'd have to put it, she's back with the originals, man, you know, uh, comedy started on radio before there was television, I mean, before radio, there were no iconic stars, you had your local, you know, your local theater stars, and that was it, okay, radio took over, now you could hit a bigger audience, and that's when the icons started to, uh, started to form, when you could hit more than just your local audience, when you could get out to a wider range of people, uh, you gotta put her in there with the Carol Burnett's, the Lucille Balls, I mean, the ones who paved the way, uh, Uh, credited as influenced, uh, these comedians said that this was the woman who influenced them. I heard of these people, Joan Rivers, Roseanne Barr, and Ellen DeGeneres, among others. And, you know, for our generation, we look at Joan Rivers as the the godmother of, you know, stand-up comedy. Well, you know, there was somebody before Joan Rivers, may not have been, you know, our lifetime, but before that, it was Phyllis Diller, and that's, uh, she's the one who paved the road for Joan Rivers to do... So Joan Rivers may be the godmother of comedy for our time, but uh, for our parents' time, it was Phyllis Dilla. There was one before her. No matter what you did, there was somebody before you. Uh, Let's see. uh, She had a huge gay following, and she became iconic. uh, An icon in the gay community, and uh, she said she loved hanging out with gay people, which uh, they are nicer people than your average people that you meet, so uh, I work with them a lot in comedy. Uh, Most polite people I work with, most friendly people, and Unlike a lot of the young comics, they're not looking to put you down. They're looking to bring you up, and that—that's a much tougher thing to bring people up than it is to put people down. Remember that one. Um, she was uh, open about plastic surgery, so who you knows? Before Joan Rivers, she was so open about how many plastic surgeries she had. I think on the Joan Rivers roast, is they were making fun of her. How many surgeries have you had? Uh, you used to look your age. Now you don't even look your species. I mean, but before Joan Rivers was an advocate for plastic surgery. Phyllis Diller was talking about it before her. So how long have they been doing plastic surgery for? It makes you wonder. I didn't even know that it even existed in her day and age. But apparently, if she was a spokesperson for it, then I guess it did. All right? Like, you get a nose job back then or something like that. I mean, they've taken it to another level now. They could recreate your whole face. But, I mean, I guess back then, if you had a nose job or a boob job or something, that's, you know, that was the beginning of plastic surgery. Um... She was in over 40 films, so that's a legendary uh, film career right there. You get a, One or two films are good. You get in 40, well, you're a regular. Uh, her first was Splendor in the Grass, was the first film she was in. and um, Let's see, uh, television credits included uh, Night Gallery, The Muppet Show, Love Boat, Sybil, Boston Legal, and 11 seasons of The Bold and Beautiful. Um... Hey, The Muppet Show, man. I mean, You know, I remember as a kid, I mean, these were some of the places, you know, my parents watched her, but I mean, I got, you know, some some memories of her. It was before my time, but I do know who she was, and I did see her, you know, from watching shows with my parents, and certainly The Muppet Show is a show every kid watched, and that was a show, you know, your parents could watch it for Phyllis Diller, and you could watch it for The Muppets, but while you're watching it for The Muppets, you're also finding out who Phyllis Diller was. <laughs> Uh, voiceover work. I've always told you, man, big money on voiceover work. That's why these cartoons were hit. Uh, Mad Monster Party, A Bug's Life She Was In, uh, The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, uh, Family Guy. Just, uh, you know, a lot of cartoon voiceover work there. Keeping relevant, making money, safe move. All the kids like the cartoons. Uh, you know, you, you always wonder how somebody gets started in comedy. And this one, this one's a little bit different, okay? And, uh... I remember I did one about George Burns where there were kids working in a, a little candy shop or something and they used to sing while they worked and one day they were singing and people were throwing pennies down the stairs. They liked them so much and that was just a strange way to get you start, you know, just singing while you work. Then they went out and started singing on the street and people were throwing pennies at them. They didn't have to work, they sang. But uh, here's how she got her start. Interesting way, uh, her parents brought her to funerals at a young age, which I mean... That's a parental decision. Do you think, you know, your kid's old enough to go to a funeral yet, or is he too young to understand what's going on and see a dead body? Well, I guess she was a little bit young, and uh, she said it gave her a greater appreciation for life, because if you see a lot of people death and you wonder what kind of life they lead, you know, you, you realize you're going to end up there someday. I remember at my first funeral, my parents took me to, I was young, and geez, I was standing there just looking, and then, you know, my mother came up and kind of walked me away, because you saw I was in a little bit of shock there, and, uh, But she used, uh, you know, from her shock from seeing so many dead people at a young age, she said she used comedy as a form of self-therapy, okay? Which, you know, comedy, hey, it's a great thing. You got something that's that's bugging you in life, you learn to laugh about it. Otherwise, it'll drive you crazy. You don't want it to drive you crazy, so you make jokes about it, okay? And that's why I got the character, the child sports superhero, because uh, I got drove crazy in family court, saw my child suffering, not a thing I could do about it. You get to the point, you say, you know what? This is so far past ridiculous, I'm just going to laugh about it. That's how she found her humor. Said she was never the class clown in school. She actually took uh, school seriously, but she enjoyed making her friends laugh after school. So, uh, I guess there, you know, I mean, everybody... Remember Jackie the Joke Man told me that he remembered every joke he ever heard. And I was like that, too. If I heard a good joke, it would stick in my head forever. They're, I'm going to tell that somebody else someday, man. That's mine now. I heard that. Every kid, you know, one of the hot jokes. So, when you can make people laugh, it's always a cool thing. You become the life of the party. You become the the, the ring in your circle. Uh, let's see. In uh, 1952. She began working at WROW radio station in Oakland. Uh, there, she filmed several short spots for a local TV show, offering advice in a bathrobe uh, to homemakers. I guess she was like uh, the original Dear Abby, offer <laughs> advice to all the women sitting at home homemakers. And uh, but I guess she did it in a humorous way, where you know, Dear Abby did it in a a serious way, she did it in a comedic way, so uh, getting a little bit of different edge there. At uh, the encouragement of her husband, she tried uh, comedy to open mic at the age of 37. So, uh, hey, there's a late start in the comedy, we're almost you know kids nowadays in the 20s. She's she 37 and kids, and she tried it in San Francisco's. Get this, her first gig was at the Purple Onion. Does that just sound swanky or what? Where was your first gig? It was at the Purple Onion, baby. But I got nowhere to talk. I actually did. I started on a place called the Red Onion in Baltimore, Mass. A little dive bar, but uh, it's where you work out your material, man. You know, you tell a bunch of drunks some jokes. and You know, somebody pays 20, 25 bucks to get into a comedy show, you got their full attention, okay? If you go to a bar and you got a, bu- a bunch of drunks who don't even know you're going to be there and you get them laughing, you really accomplish something then. And then you're ready for the big time, okay? So, uh, great learning experiences there. Um, her first pro-booking as a comedian went well. Uh, she said a two-week booking turned into 89 consecutive weeks. So, I mean, apparently fans were loving her so much they couldn't get enough of her, they just kept booking her at different places, and she kept working. So, who knew that? You went out for a two-week, you know, booking comedy adventure, you're probably happy to get the two weeks, and it turns into 89 consecutive weeks. That's, that's a roll right there, baby. She's on a roll. Um, she said, you know, while she was doing all these places, she never ever saw any other women on the comedy scene, and, uh, you know, that's what makes her a pioneer, you know, all the guys were doing it, she was right there doing it, no other women among her, so, I mean, she was a pioneer for women in the comedy industry, I mean, not that there wasn't others doing it, but, I mean, there weren't many, and she wasn't seeing any, so, uh, you want to hang out with your comedy buddies? Well, your comedy buddies are men, you ain't hanging out with the girls anymore, because there ain't any around, uh, she put down her influences as uh, Sid Caesar, Milton Berle, and Jonathan Winters, which uh, some of the legends right there of, uh, of those days. You know, certainly Milton Berle going back to radio, yeah, the first TV, but they were all on radio before that. That's where it all began. Uh, let's see. Our first national TV spot came on Groucho Marx's "Bet You Bet Your Life. And uh, that was one of the big shows back in the day, man. That's like the... The Tonight Show, you know, you get on there, you're made. Well, Groucho Marx, he was the guy. He could make you back in the day. She had multiple bookings on the Jack Parr Tonight Show. He was the guy doing it before Johnny Carson. Um, So once Groucho and uh, Jack Parr gave her a break, that led to the big break. Who was there before Johnny Carson? Who was the big guy show you wanted to get on? It led to a show, uh, appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. And, uh... Before Johnny Carson was the television icon, Ed Sullivan was the television icon. You got on his show, you were at the top of your game. Only the best of the best was on there, man. So, uh, hey, she worked her way up. She paid her dues. She got her shot on the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, once you're on there, it was kind of like the Tonight Show. If you got the okay from Johnny Carson or the wave over the couch, boom, you were a made comic back then. Because that was the only place you could see stand-up comedy. I mean, people recognize you from TV. You're You're a... You're a legendary act now. Well, she uh, started performing comedy all over the U.S. after that appearance, because she was a made comic once you do something like that. Where nowadays, you know, we've said before, you get on the Tonight show, it's a cool thing, man. But you're not a made comic anymore. It's not like instant fame overnight. I mean, great one to have on your resume. It's going to get you some work. But it's not the instant fame that it used to be back in the day. I actually posed the question recently. I mean, podcasts are such a big thing, and they're worldwide where, you know, I mean, The Tonight Show, it's such a legendary show, but, I mean, it's only here in America. You might get reruns or whatever, but uh, would you rather be on, you know, The Tonight Show or The Joe Rogan Podcast? And, you know, most of the older people said, oh, The Tonight Show, because they remember all the legends on it. Most of the younger kids said The Joe Rogan Podcast, you know. You get a couple minutes on The Tonight Show, you know, The Joe Rogan Podcast, it's a bigger form, and he's worldwide. He's hitting more people than The Tonight Show, so. If you're looking for fans, young fans to come out to your show, I guess The Joe Rogan Podcast and... And uh, somebody said, if you want a nice little thing to show Mom, (laughs) you go on the Tonight Show. But uh, it's still the legendary show. If you're going to do television, man, that's the show to be on. Um, While she was uh, performing all over the U.S., she released multiple comedy albums. uh, uh, Wet Toe and a Hot Socket. Uh, Are You Ready for Phyllis Diller? Uh, The beautiful Phyllis Diller among them. That was back when you could actually make money putting out albums, which... uh, you know, you can't do it anymore. They've turned into an advertisement tool. Where back in the day, you put out a, a comedy album and you charge ten bucks for it. Then you charge, you know, 20, 20 bucks to come see you in concert. Where nowadays you got to put out a free comedy album and now you got to charge forty bucks to come see you in concert because you got to make up for the money that you lost on the album because everybody's downloading them for free. So that's how they're doing it now. And uh, I guess I guess technology forced them to meet halfway because you know. Back then, if you got a bootleg tape, you know it, would sound like crap. Nowadays, with the digital stuff, I mean, you go to a concert, and it's as good as what they're putting out on their their DVD specials, so they can't really hide any work if everybody's got a cell phone with a recording device in their pocket. So you give it for free, and you make up for it with live shows. That's the only thing they can do. Uh, Let's see. uh, Here's one you didn't know. In 1960s, okay, when she was doing stand-up, Barbara Streisand was her opening act. <laughs> we all know what Barbara Streisand went on to do. Well, She was opening for Phyllis Diller. That was one of her opening acts. Um, I guess her, her major break came. I mean, not that these weren't major breaks, but I mean, the one that had launched her to the next level. Bob Hope, who was like the the movie king of the time, man. He was the movie comedian king. Offered her roles in some movies. Uh, and uh, she did... a. Uh, Boy, did I get the wrong number. Uh, eight on the Lamb and uh, the Private Navy the Private Navy of Sergeant O'Farrell. So, I mean, uh, you know, she was she was co-starring in these movies. It wasn't like, you know, it was Bob Hope and, uh, you know, guest star, you know, Phyllis Diller. She was a big enough comedian where she was a co-starring role in these movies, but you put two talents like that together, okay, Bob Hope and Phyllis Diller, something good's gonna happen, and they actually they didn't get good great critical acclaims at the you know from the critics but they did mucho good with the fans at the box office and uh, if you're making money folks that's what it's all about okay so just goes to show you don't always listen to the critics they don't know what the hell they're talking about most of the time they don't know what they're talking about okay I put out a short film you know we're working on a, a full length film now but I put out a short film called From Preacher or Prophet to Sam Kinison Story where Sam was my hero and. Uh, I had a bunch of 20-year-old kids who don't know jack squat about the business, you know, they attacked the thing. And I had a people, a lot of people higher up in the business who do know how to this, and uh, they actually appreciated what I did, and I got a lot of great compliments from people I respect. So, you know, who do you want to listen to, okay? People high up in the business you respect, or a bunch of 20-year-old kids who don't know their ass from their elbow. Well, I'll take the latter. I'll, I'll take the people high up in the business. That's, that's probably going to get you somewhere, okay? Rather than a kid, man, Nah, man, man, I could do better than that, man. Look at that, man. I'm going to go on Facebook and tell my friends what a hot comedian I am. Yeah, well, good luck getting booked, kid. Good luck with that, okay? Let's see. Phyllis Diller in the 60s. She was appearing on shows like uh, What's My Line, Uh, uh, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, Hollywood Squares. I mean, these were the big shows of the time. I mean, this was stuff our parents grew up on. These were the, the prime time, you know, top television shows of the time. Into the 70s, again on the top shows of the time: the Gong Show, the Match Game, the Muppet Show, the Love Boat, the Drew Carey Show, Seventh Heaven, and my personal favorite. This is where I remember her the most from as a kid. 1972, she was on the new Scooby-Doo, and I must have seen some reruns of that years later as a kid. But I remember her on the new Scooby-Doo, and, and that was uh, that was my first experience with Phyllis Diller. And I remember, you know, she always had the uh, the cigarette on a stick there. I guess. But I guess she never smoked, I didn't know, it was just a prop, you know, she put like a little wood thing burning on the end that she never really smoked a cigarette, it was all just part of her act, with her big hair get up and her crazy suit get up, and it's all a shtick, folks, it's all part of the shtick, okay, but uh, yeah, certainly, I mean, Scooby-Doo, she's on all the top shows of the time, and um, she did, uh, again, some voice work, man. Uh, Never underestimate the power of voice work. I can't can't stress that enough in comedy. Robot Chicken, Family Guy, Hey Arnold, The Power Rangers, The Powerpuff Girls, Animaniacs, Jimmy Neutron, King of the Hill. These are all cartoons. Now, I want to make a point of this, okay? Because she's on, like, you know, The Gong Show and The Love Boat. Okay, now these are all stuff that our parents grew up watching. Okay, later on she's on the Drew Carey show. Okay, she's on Seventh Heaven. She's on the Muppet These are all stuff I watch. So she's entertaining my parents. She's entertaining me. As if that ain't enough. All these cartoons I just mentioned my kid was watching too. She's entertaining my kid too. That's three generations of my family. This woman's entertaining right here, okay? My parents, me, and my children. What more can you ask for on comedy than that right there, than to entertain three generations of somebody's family? That's when you go down as an iconic comic right there. So, um, hey, hats off to Phyllis Diller, man. She paid her dues. Uh, and, you know, she self-admitted, man. Comedy's a tough game, you know. She had, I think, five kids, five or six kids, and she said she regretted later in life that, you know, she had neglected kids at, at times where... You know, comedy would demand her time, and she wasn't there for her kids, so there's always a price to pay in comedy. She paid the price of it. Uh, She retired in 2002, and uh, she still was a best-selling author. She was an accomplished musician. She actually went to college for music, didn't follow it up. She chose comedy instead, but very accomplished musician and an artist, so uh, I guess she had all kinds of talents that we didn't know about. Uh, how big was the lady in comedy, uh, at her retirement party in Vegas, the people that came out to pay tribute, Don Rickles, Roseanne Barr, Red Buttons, Lily Tomlin, and Joanne Worley, so I mean, these are some some major comedians paying respect to this woman right there, because, uh, you know, this is the person that inspired them to do what they do, and you see this guy behind me, Sam Kennison, he's the guy inspired me to do what I do, and, uh, I'm, I'm passing it on here with Funny Like Clown Podcast, I guess, uh, Hopefully someday people will listen to these and realize, you know, that uh, history's past is such an important thing. And, uh, you know, we're finding out cool stuff together. After her retirement, she did make some cameos and guest appearance. Uh, She was on Roseanne Barr's reality show on one episode. She showed up, did some stand-up on the Jay Leno's Tonight Show, and did a little sit-down with him, too. So even after she retired, she'd pop up here and there. Um... You know, what can you say about a great comedian other than, you know, 30 years in the business in her age and that many generations. August 20th, 2012, she was found, passed away in her home at the age of 95. And if you make age 95, you have lived a damn good life. So she lived a damn good life and hats off to her for all the entertainment she gave three generations of people. And uh, she's probably, you know, if you say Joan Rivers was one of your influences in comedy as a female comic, well... Who is John Rivers' influence? It goes back to Phyllis Diller. So you're a fan of Phyllis's. if you're a fan of Jones and you don't even flippin' know it. Uh, we had a few chime-ins from the fans here. Let's uh, see what they had to say. We didn't have many, but we did have a couple. And uh, Hey, this show's for the fans, about the fans, with the fans. So if any of you guys want to chime in, you go find the Facebook page, uh, Funny Like Clown Podcast, and you can start chiming in too. Uh, Lisa Tringali, uh, she was at her best paired up with Bob Hope, and how could you not be? When you put two talents like that together, something good's bound to happen, man. You can't have that much humor in one room and and not laugh. It's impossible. Uh, Patty Punch writes in, her husband Fang, and I guess that was uh, like Rodney Dangerfield's uh, Dr. Vinnie Bumbatsu, I guess. You know, it was a made-up doctor. Well, when she was doing her acting, whenever she referred to, her, referred to his husband, that was the name that she gave her Fang. Yeah, I guess I guess he was like the biter, like a vampire. Who knows what was going on? But that was her stage name for her husband was Fang. Uh, Rob Steen writes in, how precious she was with the new comedians. Always had you back a hundred percent. You know I've said that before. It's so important in this game, and it's it's not even important. It's a responsibility. I mean, when you when you've been in comedy for a long time, it's your responsibility to bring up the next generations and pay back, you know, to the young comics what the older comics did for you when you first started. So uh, it's certainly uh, a good thing to always give back. And when you meet the good ones, you know, most of them they're willing. They want to pass on what they learned. Who wouldn't? Okay. After they're gone, what's going to be left? Okay. The young kids. That's who's going to take on comedy. They're the future of comedy. Like Yoda said, pass on what you learn. When you become a Jedi at comedy, pass on what you've learned to the next generation. Uh, AZ Zim, my number one favorite. And I always think of the phone in her kitchen with the names that she said, do not answer if they call. Jonah Carson was on it. Uh, Also her room upstairs with all the outfits she wore and how heavy they were. And uh, how she would always laugh. Uh, because we both had the same laugh and uh, it was a stage laugh and maybe he's got the same laugh but she said it was more when girls get nervous that's what they do they just laugh about it. <laughs> she said she was nervous on stage and that was how she dealt with it and you know, I look back at some of my comedy routines when I first started, and I'm sitting there telling a joke and I'm going, you know, you know, um, 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 um. You do that because while you're talking, you're trying to think of what your next line is because you ain't got it memorized yet. So it's a way, you know, you deal with it, and that was her way of dealing with the nerves up there. Uh Yeah, those those eccentric outfits, man, they, you know, I'm sure they weren't easy to wear. I mean, they, they got the notices. What the heck am I wearing there? She told a lot, a lot of jokes about what she was wearing, but... uh. Everybody has a stick, and that was her stick, I guess, right there. So, uh, Phyllis Diller, I guess, uh, we'll leave off saying, um, you know, an iconic comedian, a pioneer for female comics. I mean, when you're one of the first, you know, women breaking the barrier, anybody who breaks the barrier, you know, Jackie Robinson, the first black baseball player, uh, you know, who was uh, who's the first to do anything, you know, I mean... She was the first, you know, iconic female comedian of her time, where, I mean, like I said, there were probably some, you have to go to your local theater, or, hey, you got a uh, mama whoever's been doing, uh, you know, comedy here forever, but that wasn't on a national level. When radio came along, TV came around, things started to boom, she paved the way for the women. She paved the way for the Joan Rivers, for the Carol Burnetts, for the Goldie Hawns, for for the, the next generation. And, you know, the Joan Rivers and Goldie Hawns and Carol Beneste, they paved the way for the Roseanne Bars and the Whitney Cummings, the Amy Schumers, and everybody you see today. So, uh, give back, folks. If you're a comedian listening to this, give back to the younger comedians. Don't be an ass to them. Uh, unless they're an ass to you, then I guess you got to be because, you know, don't take no shit from nobody. But if you find a good young comedian, man, which ain't easy because they all think that somebody owes them something nowadays, but... uh Try to give back. If you're not a comedian, man, whatever field you're in, okay? If you make pizzas, okay, when the next young pizza maker comes in, teach them how to make a uh, great pizza, okay? If you're if you're a woodworker, okay, pass on what you've learned about wood to the next young woodmaker because they're the future of anything. And the future is laughter, folks. This is Funny.com Podcast. I'm your host Dennis Worth. Keep laughing. Pass on that laughter. Make the next generation laugh because you always need something to laugh about. Till next week, smile.